All righty, that's it. The text for the sermon is taken from the gospel the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, uh, when the doors were shut, uh, where the disciples assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, I want to begin uh, by returning to the garden uh, where Jesus first revealed himself to Mary Magdalene. And then I want to consider two other events on the same day, but with a little different take uh, from last week. For one thing, uh, I want us to take a look inside the Ark of the Covenant. Remember uh, that Mary came to the garden, according to the text, when it was yet dark. Uh, and then, uh, you, you, you can see from the Gospel of today, we see the end of that very, that very day, uh, uh, at the end of that chapter. Uh, and so we have the, uh, the evening sun had set, and as it was uh, setting, many of Jesus' disciples who had fled Jerusalem for fear of the Jews were returning because some of them had in fact encountered the risen Christ himself or they had heard other accounts of that happening. And, and, they, and the word quickly spread. They were making their way back to what we call the upper room uh, where they knew they would find Peter and the apostles. Now last week uh, we saw the Emmaus uh, appearance of Christ occurred just before sunset uh, on the first day. Uh, and we can safely assume that Cleopas and his, uh, the other disciple from Emmaus knew where they would find Peter uh, and the other apostles. Uh, not only them, but Mary Magdalene, Salome, James, Blessed Virgin Mary, and others. Uh, and and uh, John's Gospel preserves that very first occasion uh, that we know of when our res resurrected Lord revealed himself to the church gathered around the apostles and intentionally moving in that, in, in that direction to find them. The same day at evening being the first day of the week. Uh, so in all four Gospels, the first day of the resurrection of Jesus is bounded by two pools of darkness. One darkness before sunrise, the other darkness after uh, sunset. And so it is that the first day of the resurrection, the day of the resurrection, is presented to us as a pool of light surrounded by darkness. Another way of thinking about this is that the first day of the resurrection looks very much like the first day of creation. If you go back to Genesis 1, the earth was at, without form and void, and darkness was upon uh, the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Uh, so I submit to you that the uh, uh, first day of the resurrection uh, is in fact the first day of the new creation. And in fact this is what the, the uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, jurisdictions refer to as the eighth day of creation. Now as I said many times before last week that if you're a Jewish Christian uh, the account of Mary's uh, Mary Magdalene's experience of the two angels on the stone slab where Jesus' body lay would have reminded you of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat uh, on top with angels uh, of gold on each side. 
it was there on the mercy seat that the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled on the day of atonement. Uh, you, would, you would understand that the tomb of Jesus is the true holy of holies and the stone upon which his lifeless body was placed is the true mercy seat with real angels, not man-made angels hammered uh, of metal. Uh, so when John uh, wrote to the Jews who had become Christians, he was showing them how Jesus had not rejected the Old Testament at all, but in fact had perfected the Old Testament, and the Old Testament revelation. Uh, this atonement, of our Lord offered one time by Jesus is a full, perfect, sufficient sacrifice and oblation uh, and, and it will never have to be offered up again as all of the other sacrifices had to be repeatedly over and over uh, again. So you can see this in your mind's eye. It's easy. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the empty tomb with the two angels on either side. Now, when God instructed Moses uh, to construct the Ark of the Covenant. He also had him place inside of the Ark. This is in the Old Testament. He placed inside of because the mercy seat was a lid. You could lift it off. And, and, and inside of the Ark, he placed a tablet of the ten, the stone tablet of the Ten Commandments uh, uh, inside. Uh, but we also know from Leviticus and the letter to the Hebrews that the ark also contained Aaron's rod. That's the one that Moses used to divide the Red Sea. Aaron's rod, uh, as well as a jar of manna, which is also always kind of interesting to me. But that's what it refers to, a jar, a jar of manna. According to the letter to the Hebrews, each uh, of these very concrete objects is a pattern of heavenly things that Christ has taken up and perfected, somehow completed once and for all in his death upon the cross uh, and his resurrection. Are you all with me so far? Is it too hot in here? We need to turn it down. You okay? It is, isn't it? It feels hot to me. Someone turn that heat down. Turn the heat off. Get some air conditioning in here. All right. Back, back, to, back to me. Okay. The tablets of stone, the law, according to Hebrews, are shadows of good things to come and not the very image of them. They're shadows of good things to come and not the very image. Now, that's an interesting phrase, not the very image of them. The Ark of the Covenant... And everything in the Ark of the Covenant are known as skia. Uh, that's the word that's used in the New Testament. Skia, shadows, uh, not even images. The word translated as image is icon, E-I-K-O-N. Uh, so here's the point that I want to make. An icon is actually is better than a shadow, obviously, because it represents the object it presents. An icon participates in what it presents by presenting the image. So an image comes from light and truth. It has to have light. Icons require light. 
But shadows are very different things, aren't they? Shadows actually block light. Uh, blocking light throws a shadow. Okay, now I'm going to get practical for just a minute on this. So how is the law uh, only a shadow of good things to come? This is how. Listen to what I'm saying. The law is like a plumb line uh, that can determine straightness. But that's all it can do. A shadow cannot do anything. It can't generate anything. It can't even generate another shadow. And the, and, the, and the law is like that because the law is like a plumb line. A plumb line can tell you just how crooked a room is. But it cannot straighten out the crooked room. And so it is with the law. It can reveal a life that isn't plumbed to God. It can show us how we may be crooked. But the law cannot straighten us out. It can't make us holy and happy. And according to the letter to the Hebrews, uh, the same may be said of the Ark of the Covenant and everything inside of it. They're shadows of good things to come. But Christ, and this is the whole subject of the, really the book of Hebrews, uh, Christ is superior to everything that has come before. Uh, where there is crookedness, he can make it straight. And where there is brokenness, he can mend it whole. For Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's what it says. Uh, he's superior to the law because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness and every, for everyone that believeth. And he's superior to Moses because it said your fathers uh, ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But I am the bread of life and who comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. So what about Ron, uh, Aaron's, Aaron's rod, which is very interesting. Aaron's rod was an outward invisible sign of God's presence among the Jewish people. Uh, in Israel, the rod was a symbol of authority uh, and a shepherd's tool to protect his sheep. Holding his rod over the water, Moses parted the Red Sea. Uh, and uh, that is uh, holding Aaron's rod over the water. He parted the Red Sea and he brought judgment upon Egypt and Israel and he worked miracles with Aaron's rod, which is a sort of instrument of grace, you see. It's a, it's a means of grace, an instrument of grace. But Jesus is greater than all of that. He has no instrument of grace. He needs no instrument of grace other than himself, other than his own body as an instrument of grace. Uh, at, at his own hands, his own lips, his own blood to mediate God's loving and saving presence to his people. Jesus' body of flesh is a place of judgment and a place of blessing. But there's one other thing, and, and, and I'm done, just real quickly. One last thing. According to Numbers 17, uh, when Moses went into the tent uh, of testimony, uh, he was awestruck to find Aaron's rod had budded and had put forth buds 
and produced blossoms and bore ripe fruit. That's a miracle. Uh, and, and Moses uh, w- w- uh, was completely awestruck. Now listen, as beautiful and as wonderful that image is uh, of a fruit-bearing rod, uh, it is still, according to the book of Hebrews, it is still a shadow and only a shadow of good things to come. Aaron's rod is a dead piece of wood that God used to mediate his presence to God. Uh, uh, However, it also foreshadowed the resurrection of Christ because that dead piece of wood broke into blossom and bore fruit. And still, it is only a shadow compared to the real thing, which is the resurrection of Christ our Lord. We'll stop there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.